Well, good morning, everybody. Happy uh, Father's Day to all of you that are daddies. You know, the Bible's got a lot of good illustrations of fathers in it. And uh, whether we look at King David, we see his successes, we see his failures. We look at the book of Solomon, which actually, uh, uh, Proverbs, which Solomon wrote to his kids. He said, listen to what your dad has to say. It's going to go well with you. And I really like that about God's divine guidance. But the father of all fathers is our one that's in heaven. And as we pray, our father, which art in heaven. I think that's such a neat thing to know that the God who created the cosmos, created the sky, created everything there is chose to relate to us as a father. Not some unknowable God that you had to continually burn incense to to somehow appease him, but that God really, in fact, does love you and, in fact, wants to do something in your life every day. And so when we look at this Father's Day, I think it's just a neat day that the world sets aside to honor dads, all the things that they have done. And you know, maybe some of you here today, some listening, are saying, well, I haven't been a very good dad. I haven't been there for my family like I should have been, or for my kids. Well, I got some great news for you. Today is your day of change. Today is your day of hope, and that God can do brand new things in your life. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn in them to the book of Acts. We're going through the book of Acts. And really looking at the beginning of the church. Last week we studied out of Acts chapter 2, this wonderful place in the Bible where Jesus said, you being of the world know how to give your children good gifts. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It is a second work of God. I believe that, yes, it is possible to get the Holy Spirit when you first believe, but generally, all the way through the Bible, it is a second work of God. Whether it's Paul talking in Acts 19, since you believed, have you been filled with the Spirit? Or whether we look here in even Acts chapter 2, where we left off last week, where the people were convicted of their sins. The Bible says in Acts 2, they were cut to the heart. When they heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind, everybody was there. And as they came in multitude to see what was going on, Peter stands up and says, these are not drunk with wine as you think, but they're filled with the Spirit. There was an empowerment that came upon him. Acts chapter 1 says, Jesus said, I will give you the power to be martyrs. The word there for witnesses is the word martyrs, where we get the word martyrs. Well, what would you die for? Well, the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2, you're going to get a dunamos, you're going to get a dynamo from the Holy Spirit, that no matter what goes on around you, whatever might put you down, there's a generator, that invisible empowering of the Holy Spirit, that keeps you charged up, keeps you going, even though everything in your life says, give up, quit, and walk away. This is what I think one of the great things is that I found even in my own personal life that in through many different things that we remain faithful to the call of God in our life via the Holy Spirit that charges us and that no matter what obstacles come, we keep going. Now remember, as you think about it for a minute, all the obstacles that came to the Apostle Paul. 
He was shipwrecked day and night in the deep, beaten with rods, perils in the wilderness, perils in the city. He was always under attack, yet the dynamo kept him going. Some people might look and say, well, why didn't Paul just give up? Well, because the love of Christ constraineth me. It's the love of God that keeps us going. But I need something outside of my own energies. I need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, again, as it says, he's talking to them uh, to in, in Acts 2, and he says, Peter then said to him, repent, every one of you, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Very clearly, a second work. The Holy Spirit is what cut him to the heart in the verse before, as they were all there. Then he says, listen, you are a believer, be baptized, and God will fire, put a generator in you. Maybe some of you need that generator today. That's one of the things that you, I find is so important in our Christian relationship. That that keeps us going, even to the point, as Jesus said in Acts 1, to the point of death. See, in other words, there's a boldness in you to stand it for what you believe to the point of death. What caused 6 million Christians to be fed to the lions and martyred and all kinds of other horrific things? What caused them to do that? It was that power of God in them. And I believe that is so important in the world today. Well, as we go to chapter three, let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, first, bless the fathers. Let them know, God, how you want to help them and restore them. And Lord, for those that feel like they have failed, I pray that these words will be a message of encouragement, that they will be that which will restore them and they'll be able to give to their family, God, what they will have because you have given them given it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Peter and John, chapter 3, verse 1. By the way, the dynamic duo, they they always were doing things together. Peter was uh, um, older than John, um, and the two were together. Now, notice there's a lot here, and we're going to go into this. I pray you've read your Bible before, and this chapter is not foreign to you, but we're going to look at it a little closer. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Now, friends, this is interesting because they didn't go up to the temple at the noon hour. They went up to the temple at the ninth hour. Why do you think the Bible says that? Well, you know, it's just fluff in there for you. No, not at all. What happened at the noon hour at the temple? That was the time of the animal sacrifice. The Three o'clock, three hours afterward, was the hour of prayer. Now, it's interesting that Peter and John both felt compelled to go pray. I like that. But they didn't feel to go up at the time of the sacrifice because Jesus Christ, the ultimate sacrifice, had already been made for them. I think that's important because, again, sometimes we might look at this. The ninth hour was the the uh, third hour of our three o'clock in the afternoon uh, what would be our equivalent. And so it tells us here that uh, he did this. They went up and they went up to pray. 
Now, something interesting also is that we know that Jesus went to the temple to pray often as well. So I believe Peter and John are simply mimicking what they saw Jesus do, which I think is important. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple. Now this is interesting to me because the Bible says that Jesus, as his custom was, he would go to the temple as well. It says this man was there, and in fact, if we go to chapter 4, verse 22, it says this man had been lame for 40 years. So every day they would come and bring him out, drop him in front of the gate, beautiful, and this gate, beautiful, these gates were like 70 foot tall, overlaid with brass, all ornate, and here's this this lame guy laying there. No doubt Jesus probably passed him by. Because it says he was laid daily there. Why didn't Jesus heal him? You know, friends, there's a lot of things I don't understand what God does and doesn't do. I just don't know why he does it. But I know he has a better plan than I do. And that's one of the things that we have to always understand. God's timing is not our timing. Remember, God's timing is perfect. We may think sometimes God is late. God doesn't care. I prayed and God didn't hear me. But nevertheless, God's timing is perfect. He accomplishes more in that time lag than we think. Sometimes it's a time for testimony. Sometimes it's a time for acquaintance. Sometimes it's a time of just God showing us that he's not limited to our demands. And so if you've ever prayed about something and you wonder why God has not answered my prayer right on time, let me just share this with you. God's time is perfect. Mine isn't. I'm a very impatient person. You know, I don't realize how impatient I am, but I am. I've driven blue lakes. Let me tell you, I'm impatient. People turn left, they turn, signal left, they turn right. People, the light turns green, they don't go. The big one that gets me is you have a four-lane road with a turn pocket in the middle for turning. Do they turn out of the middle pocket left? No, they turn out of the one of the other lanes that backs the traffic up. And I just, all of a sudden, I have to go, God, you have to calm me down. I have found, now, I just kind of, like, wonder why. Now, I haven't, uh, just to tell you, I realize, as you live your life, there's lots of things on people's minds. There's lots of things. I remember the story where there was a man, and and it was his custom every Sunday to get on the subway, drive up, state New York, uh, as far as the, the thing would go, then he'd take a cab to see his mother. And he'd do this, he'd get his cup of coffee, he had his routine, he had his newspaper. And one day he said these kids came on with his father and they're jumping on the chairs and screaming and yelling. He said it was so nerve wracking. Finally, he says, I looked over at the guy and he said, would you please control your children? 
And the man looked over at him and said, I'm so sorry. He said, my wife died a couple of days ago and the kids have not had food normally. And I've been doing my best to keep them. They haven't been sleeping well because they've been crying all night. And the man with the newspaper said, I felt so terrible. Because I didn't see life through his eyes. I saw it through mine. This is one of the problems that I find all of us, even as Christians, can have. And so because of that, we find that our viewpoint of those doing something weird or uncomfortable are wrong. Well, notice he says here, this man from his mother's womb was carried. He couldn't walk. He was lame, the Bible says. Verse 3 Uh, Before we go to verse 3, he was begging alms. He was looking for a handout. Um, You know, we'll set for food. I don't know what sign he held up, but but it was something. He couldn't do anything. And there there he was, and it was, notice where he went. He went to where the temple was because uh, it was customary in those days, in the Jewish custom, that if I was benevolent to somebody, this would be pleasing to God. In other words, this would be considered good works. Now notice it says, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for money or alms or whatever you'll hand me. So, it tells us, and fixing his eyes on him, with John and Peter said, look at us. Now, now, friends, th- this is weird. Because generally speaking, we don't want to have eye contact with people that are like weird or begging for anything. In fact, that's one of the first rules of growing up in L.A. I grew up in L.A. Um, and, uh, you know... <laughs> There's something called street smarts. If anybody has ever been from a big city, you might know what that is. You see two guys coming towards you, and you have probably about 10 seconds to to evaluate whether they're going to pass by, they're going to stick a gun in your ribs, they're going to stick a knife in you, smack you in the head. So you only got a few seconds to really understand what they're going to do to you. And usually you don't want to look in their eyes unless there's something that you think is up. And so when this man, he's begging alms, he looks at Peter and Peter and John stare back at him. It says, fixing their eyes on him. So they were fully ascertaining where this guy was at, what he was doing, begging for money. And notice what he said. John and Peter said, look at us. Now that's not normal when somebody is looking for a handout. You want to kind of go, you want to just kind of look away. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. I, I, sometimes I see myself as this blind guy. I do. Because I know sometimes in my life I need something. But you know, God knows more what I need than I do. In fact, the Bible says God knows what you need before you ask. That's one of the silly things about the positive confession movement. Is that if God already knows what I need before I ask, why do I have to tell him in exactness what I need so he won't do a mistake? No, as a matter of fact, 
our Father, which art in heaven, knows as his child, you and me, what we need. I like that about God. Don't, mom and dad, don't you know what your kid needs even before they ask? They get up in the morning, they don't say, Mommy, I'm hungry, feed me, I want a bowl of cereal. No, you just say, here, eat it. And by the way, you know what's really strange about having kids? If you've never had them, and it's an experience out of the twilight zone, but a good one. And I remember the first kid, you know, oh, the, the dish is dirty, we got to clean it all up and make it nice and clean. And you make it like that. And the spoon, oh, it's got a water spot out of here. Let me wipe it off. You got it all laid out there. You know, it's really strange, but from what I've talked to other people, by the fifth kid, they just pour the cereal on the floor, say, come and get it. You know, this is one of the things that I found in life. My kids don't know what they need, but the father does. You know, on this Father's Day, I want you to know something. you got a daddy in heaven that knows what you need. This man sitting there at the gate, begging for money, begging for alms. Alms can be anything. Um, it, can be, it can be money. It can be a sack of oranges. It can be a kind deed. It can be any, But the man was sitting there expecting something. But what he really needed he didn't think was possible. And notice it says, he gave him his attention. Then Peter said, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Man, that's what he needed. He thought he needed a handout But God had so much more for him. Now notice something very important here. If you like to underline things in your Bible, and I do, mine is underlined. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but this is what I underline. But what I do have, I give to you. But what I do have. It isn't what somebody else has I give to you. It's what I do have. The question is, when we go to minister... We go to represent God. And by the way, friends, that's what they were doing here. He said, what we do have, we can give to you. The question always is, do I have it to give it? And by the way, that is a principle in the Bible. Whatever you've received from God, you can give. If you have been born again, I believe you can lead people to Christ. If you've been filled with the Spirit, you can pray for them. If what, whatever it is that you've received, if, you bap, if, if you've been baptized... Do you, do you know authority-wise in the Bible? If you have been baptized, you as a Christian can baptize somebody else. That isn't just an exclusive for a pastor or a, a deacon or an elder. What you have received from God, freely, the Bible says you receive, freely give. And that's, that's what we want to do. I can't give something I don't have. But if God is the initiator of what you have, let me tell you something, that dynamo of the Holy Spirit will keep... Because the old thing always goes like this. Well, if I give away, then I won't have it. God says, no, the dynamo will give you more. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit generates in us so that we can turn around and give. 
If there's no generator in you, you're going to give out. You'll, you'll go bankrupt. But the Holy Spirit works within us. And, you know, sometimes we say, well, God, I'm just so tired. I, I don't know, and I, I just can't give anymore. And then you see somebody in need, and you go, okay, God, I'll go ahead and do that. And God puts that generator in you that keeps you going, keeps you going. Friends, you need that. If you've, not been, if you've never asked your Father in heaven to fill you with the Holy Spirit, you need that. That's what kept the disciples going. That's what kept the church alive. That's what will keep you in your relationship with God. That generating of the Holy Spirit. Not to swing on chandeliers, get knocked down and knock over rows of pews. Oftentimes you see abuses of the power of the Holy Spirit or things that are attributed to the Holy Spirit that he didn't do. I hate to be blamed for things I didn't do. And I'm sure the Holy Spirit gets really bummed out when people are swinging on chandeliers, rolling in the aisles, holy laughing, and all the other kind of stuff. Well, the Holy Spirit made them do that. Well, I don't find that in the Bible. In fact, I find in the Bible when the Holy Spirit came on people, they were empowered beyond human understanding. Ha, we need that, don't we? Now, he says, what I do have... I give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. This is a medical term. It's interesting that Luke records this. Luke is the the same one that wrote the book of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. And it's interesting in this book, he uses this term. Only this place in the Bible do we find his feet. The word feet here is not found anywhere else in this terminology. It's an exact term concerning the heel and all the little bones that are in your heel and all the things that make your foot and your ankle work. That's exactly what he's addressing. And then he also said, he said, and his... uh, Ankle bones received strength. This word in the Greek implies that they pop back in. There was something not right. And the Bible says that it came back and it says he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And notice that's when the healing happened. What I do have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But it's when, and we've talked about this before on Sunday morning, the point of contact. All the way through the Bible, you'll find what's called the point of contact. Now, it's not worded like that. But you remember the woman who had the issue of blood? She was completely bankrupt from giving all her money to the doctors. And she said to herself, if I could only touch the hem of his garment, I would be healed. And so she wiggled away through the crowd... She touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus said, who touched me? And the disciples said, "Uh, Lord, there's a crowd around you. Everybody's pushing and shoving. What do you mean? Who touched you? Everybody's touching you. He goes, no, somebody touched me for a reason. The crowd stepped back, and here's a woman right there. She's the one that did it. And Jesus said, your faith has made you well. Point of contact. You know, a lot of times we have to remember something. And this is hard and sometimes very embarrassing. But do you realize that sometimes you 
are the point of contact for people who either don't know God, distant from God, a brother or sister in the Lord who needs a blessing. You're that point of contact. Was there anything magic in the hem of Jesus' garment? No. But it was that point where they could put their faith and their faith became real. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now that doesn't mean blind faith that I just believe something's going to happen and I hope it does. That's not what we're talking about. He said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, that is the source of the strength. That is the the generator, if you will. And he said, rise. And he grabbed him by the hand, lifted him up. Well, we find this here. Interestingly enough, his ankle bones, his feet received strength. Verse 8. So leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking leaping and praising God. I bet you this guy was doing the boogie woogie. I think he was just so happy. Here I was for 40 years laying by this gate. And again, the word 40 years comes from Acts 4.22 because let me share this with you. Because of this miracle, they got into deep trouble. Isn't that the way it always goes? Haven't you ever heard the saying, no good deed goes unpunished? Well, (laughs) this is it. Because when we get into the rest of the chapter and chapter 4, you're going to see that they thought they got rid of Jesus. We killed him. We put him in the ground. Some people say he rose from the dead. We'll dispel that myth. And now all of a sudden his disciples are doing the same miracles that Jesus did. Oh no, we have a big problem. And so, should have known they couldn't keep a good man down. Anyway... It says here, he went leaping up and stood and walked and entered the temple with them. In verse 9 it says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. They knew that it was he who sat begging alms. Why did they know that? Because he'd been there for most of his life. And it says... He was the one sitting by the gate beautiful of the temple, and they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You know, it's interesting, again, Jesus probably walked by this guy all the time going into the temple. He'd been there for a long, long time, the Bible says. Why didn't Jesus heal him when he had the chance he was walking by? Well, maybe a couple of reasons. One, maybe the guy didn't believe he could be healed. Number two, maybe it wasn't until he realized that I begin to ask for things that God begins to do something. You know, I don't think it's wrong for any child of God to pray that God would do something in their life to supply my needs. You know, that's in the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, is it that the father didn't know they needed to eat? No, he knew that. But I believe in that prayer, God wants us to be reminded of our source of our food. Friends, I believe that's so important. There's a source for which God does things. He is that source 
and to be reminded. But why didn't Jesus heal them? Because just maybe God's timing is different than ours. We would say, well, is it that Jesus didn't care about him? Right there by the gate, beautiful, Jesus go up and pray to the temple and pray. And there he was begging arms and Jesus didn't heal him. This tells me a couple of things. One, Jesus didn't heal everybody he came across. Or did he? He has a different time than we do. And that man's time to be healed was on this day when John and Peter went up to the temple to pray. And it created a big ruckus. And they all were wondering. Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, and I bet you he put a bear hug on them. One under one arm, one under the other. As he hung on to them, held on to them, it says all the people ran together to them in the porch which is called Solomon's Porch, and they were greatly amazed. But notice something. It doesn't say they were greatly amazed and all believed. It doesn't say that, does it? It says they were all amazed, but they were not saved. You know, real quick, seeing a miracle doesn't make a person a believer. You know, I've had a lot of people say, well, if my aunt, you know, my aunt Alice could just see a miracle, she'd believe in God. Not necessarily so. In fact, there's many instances all the way through the Bible, the more miracles somebody saw that God did, instead of it softening their heart, the harder their heart got. We remember when Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. Mary and Martha's brother. And they said, the Pharisees then said, we not only have to kill Jesus, but we have to kill Lazarus as well. Well, why would they want to kill Lazarus? You can't have a living example of the power of God running around. We got to get rid of him too. You would think they would have saw him raised from the dead and go, wow, everything this guy's saying is true. But it doesn't work that way. The more miracles Jesus did, the harder the Pharisee's heart got. The more miracles Moses did in the presence of Pharaoh, the harder Pharaoh's heart got. The Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. We need to understand that God isn't being a meanie here. God supplied the miracle that Pharaoh reacted to in a negative way. I've had people say, well, what kind of a God is it that that um, hardens people's hearts? Well, it doesn't... We have to go by what the text says. What did God do to Pharaoh? He showed him that he was not God, that Pharaoh was not God. And the more God showed him, the more angry, the more hard-hearted he got. So just seeing a miracle doesn't necessarily cause a person to believe. Or if there's an interest there, yes, I believe it can spark that. But notice here we find that it says they were greatly amazed. Now, verse 12, and we're not going to be able to finish this chapter this morning. But it says, so Peter saw, saw it. All these people coming together, they saw this man healed. And I believe this is why Jesus didn't heal him at the time. 
So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. And friends, this is important. If you like to underline things in your Bible, here's another one. I underline the word responded. Why? Because God had done a notable miracle. We need to respond to when the Holy Spirit is moving. It isn't for another time and another place, but strike while the iron's hot, as the old saying goes. And I believe that's true. And so when there was a miracle, people are coming together, they're amazed. What does this mean? He responds and he said, and he responded. He seized the moment. And notice it says to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intently to us as if though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? Now, remember, a lot of times we think that the power of the Holy Spirit, the healings, the miracles we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 14 and all, are a result of our goodness. I think sometimes the TV evangelists try to portray this, that in some reason, the reason they have these things is because they're such godly people. No, we're all bozos on this bus. There's none righteous, no, not one. Only thing is, we have God. And by the way, we're all imperfect people pointing to a perfect God. That somehow, by our own righteousness, we were able to make this happen. Friends, this is the thing. And by the way, That man at the gate, expecting money is what he needed. God really knew what he needed. Like I say, sometimes I feel like that blind man in some instances. Because what I think I need is not what I really need. What I really need is what daddy says I need, knowing my needs before I ask. Friends, that's so important. Because oftentimes we spend our life telling God what to do when all God wants me to say is, Daddy, just crawl up in his lap, like Paul says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father in the Greek is simply saying that most close personal relationship with your father, Daddy. I don't have to call him Mr. God. I call him Daddy. You know, it's really sad because there's religions around that want to deny that there's a Holy Spirit or there's the Father. Uh, it's just Jesus only. It's called the Jesus only doctrine. It is a, it's, it's a inerrant scripture, uh, based. They don't know. In fact, uh, uh, 1 John 2.22 says, He that denies the Father and the Son hath the spirit of Antichrist. Pretty serious indictment. Um, But their excuse is, well, the word Holy Spirit's not a name, and the word Father's not a name. Wow, I go, what country are you from? I never call my father Mr. Kessler. I always called him Daddy. I always called him that way. It was a name closer than a name that everybody else uses, because it's a personal name relationship. See, there's a difference. A lot of people know God afar off, but you bring the reality of a child of God, a heavenly father to a world that doesn't know him. 
You're that point of contact. You're that point of contact where all of a sudden this book becomes real. Where the things about God become real in their life. They understand it. The old saying goes, the penny drops. They get it. That's who we are. Now, if you're not a Christian here this morning, and we'll continue our story here next week. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you truly can't say, my Father which art in heaven, because you're estranged to God. You need to be born again. What is blocking that relationship is sin. Now remember, sin, sinning doesn't make you a sinner. Sinning proves what we are. <laughs> the Bible says we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. But you know, we don't have to stay in that condition. That's why Jesus died on the cross. And that's why his blood covered your sins. Again, that's why the disciples went up at three o'clock in the afternoon and not at noon at the time of the daily sacrifice because the ultimate sacrifice had already been made. And it's interesting that the ninth hour of the day, as we find recorded for us in the book of John, was the time of the day where Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, it is finished. That is the ultimate prayer, friends. And so understanding there is a, a God in heaven that loves us, that loves you, and wants to reconcile you as his child, not being estranged, not being distanced because sin has separated you from God, but rather because God loves you and wants to do great things in your life. Not necessarily what we think he's going to do, but what he's got best for us. See, God knows the future. God knows all those talents and abilities that are within you, you haven't yet discovered. And by the way, do you know something? You do not make who you are. This is what bothers me so much about the motivational speaking that sometimes has replaced Bible doctrine in church. You can do it. Get out there, Ralphie. You can do it. Really? What am I supposed to do? That's the big problem. You don't make who you are. You discover who you are. That's why somebody can go into guitar lessons. And one kid will pick up that guitar. Bing, 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 bing. Oh, I get it. This is, the, this is what you do, bing, when you want to hear the note C. Bing, this is what you do when you want to hear the note C. And all of a sudden, really having very little to do with the guitar, they know how to play it amazingly. They discovered who they are. They didn't make who they are because somebody else can pick up the same guitar and take guitar lessons for five years and still don't know which side of the guitar to hold. The side with the strings always helps. The point is, is this. As we go through this journey, and sometimes we think, well, we just discover who we are in our adolescent years or in our teen years. No, friends, I believe we discover who we are every day that we're on this planet in Christ Jesus. And you think about it a minute. Interests that you didn't have 10 years ago, you may have today. Why? What changed? All of a sudden, something that maybe you even made fun of people who did certain things, you find yourself not doing that. 
We discover who we are. We don't make who we are. God already knows. I found I can eliminate years of wasted time by saying, God, I think I need alms. But you say I need this. Rise and walk. You see, friends, we need to rise and walk in Christ this morning. If you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to keep going. If you've not, and only you maybe know this, been filled with the Spirit, there's a weakness in your life concerning Christianity. You love God, but you don't have a zeal to tell the lost. You, you're shy. You're, you're, remember, Peter, this guy was the guy that cussed and swore that he never knew Jesus. Now he's standing up in front of lots of people who generally are enemies saying, hey, the Jesus Christ, you crucify. I mean, this guy's got boldness now. What a change. Now he's standing up and he's telling people the truth that you need to have Christ. Now, again, if you're a Christian, great. I want to encourage you. If you're a Christian that's lacking the deutimos, the generator, God wants to give you a generator today. (laughs) You need that in your life. Having trouble keeping your batteries charged? We're going to pray for that. Continue to let God show you what you need. Just like that man at the gate, beautiful. He thought he needed alms. What he really needed was the walk. I am so convinced in being a Christian for so many years that I really, I really don't always know what I need. It's so much better to let God tell me what I need. Let God define you. Let him show you who you are. It's so much better than you trying to do it yourself. Trying so many different things. I think that's why so many people get into drugs. For There's a lot of reasons I think people... But they're trying to find a new experience. Discover who you are. When really God says, I can tell you who you are. You need me. You see, God's got something for you that you may not even know. And I have found I can spend my whole life asking God for the wrong things. Alms, alms. God says, you need to rise and walk. I found I'm so willing to settle for so much less than God's best. And God's best is so much greater than my expectations that God wants to do something great in my life. What do you want God to do in your life today? You know, if you were able to separate all that, no one would judge you for what you said. What would you really like to see God do in your life? And I believe somewhere in there is where the hand of God wants to reach in there and cause you to walk. Maybe those prayers, maybe those desires have been lame. They don't go anywhere. You're by a beautiful gate. Everybody else is blessed, but you feel left out. And God just says, your desires are crippled. Rise and walk. God wants to do something new.
Remember, friends, the same God that you're reading about in this book is the same God that's alive and well in you. And the same God doing miracles then is the same miracle-working God that does them today. He's never changed. And by the way, for those that believe that the miracles ceased with the apostles in the last chapter of the book of Acts, i got some interesting news for you. The miracles of God never started in Acts chapter 2. They're all the way through the Bible. Old Testament or New Testament, they're all the way through the Bible. What changed? That instead of there just being an occasional Moses or a Jeremiah or Elijah, now it's all of us. That's good news. That point of contact. That people will relate to God through you. Silver and gold, I don't always have. Got a credit card. But such as I have, give I thee. If you have it, you can give it. If you don't have it, you can ask for it this morning. We're going to pray right now and let God do something brand new in your life. If you're not a Christian, I want you to consider Jesus. Do you want another five years like you just had, or 10 years, or 20 years? Because it ain't going to change until God comes in and makes all things new. If you need to pray this morning as a Christian, as a non-Christian, let's pray. And let's see what God will do. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask you to forgive me. Forgive my unbelief in so many things in my life. From this day forward, I want you to renew your spirit within me. And I repent of the rebellion and the foolish ways that I have lived. You died on the cross for me. Your word says that your blood covered my sins and you're a risen Savior. So, Lord, as a living Savior... Save me. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me, God. That when life gets tough, that generator, your generator, keeps me going. And Lord, show me who I am. Help me to stop listening to the world that tries to tell me who I am. Lord, tell me who I am. Because you know what I need. So now give me that strength that comes from you. To live for you each day. Separating the past from the present. No longer holding me back ever again. But Lord, that you would look to all of us this day. As our Father in heaven, as a daddy who loves us, says, rise and walk. God, may we rise and walk in you each day. And may we bring glory to your kingdom. Father, I commit my life now into your hands. Make me the best I can be for you. And thank you for eternal life with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.